the NFL draft was several weeks ago. I know Nick was keeping track of who the Bears drafting, and um, probably some other people were there. But coaches and teams, you know, agonized which pick uh, should we make, like, or which you know which round are we in, and who should it be our first pick? Um, well, I guess everyone picks in every round, but which one, you know, who should we make our, our our pick to be, and what you know, where are we weak that we need to add someone? Should we draft a defensive player, an offensive player, and who would be a great addition to make us? A winning team and so they analyze skill and speed and strength and um, career highlights you know what do they do in college what do they do in, in wherever to find the right person um, to add to their team so they'd be a winning team and as we continue beginning the journey home um, this series in the book of Genesis we're stepping into the second part of the book which has a lot different landscape than the first part of the book the first 11 chapters and while we we're introduced in those chapters to specific characters like Adam and Eve and Cain and Noah, um, the focus wasn't really on them. It was mainly concerned with giving this sort of big history of the world. How is everything supposed to be, and how did everything get this way, how it's not supposed to be? And that was what that was concerned about. It was telling this ancient history um, of everything that exists. And now, starting in Genesis 12, our focus is going to narrow uh, to one man, Abram, and his family. And so we go from this big focus, this is the history of you know, everything, and now this one person um, who lives in the earth. And Abram's name later gets changed to Abraham. And so if I mix those two up, um, it's the same person, not different people. Abram and Abraham, same person. He just gets his name changed later. And with this one man, God is going to initiate his rescue plan for the world. We've all gotten out of our home. We've Humanity and God's home with each other is the first broken home in human history, and now God's initiating this plan to bring us back home. And so we may wonder, okay, God's initiating his rescue plan, so what does God look for when he drafts his team? Like, what does God do to make a winning team? What is he going to look for? What sort of characteristics? What sort of people does he want to execute a winning game plan? And then it's like, Abram's like his first round draft pick. This is the first guy he wants on his team, and he's initiating this plan, the first teammate. And so what does he look for? Well, Abram, throughout the Bible, is described as a man of faith. We heard that in our first scripture reading that Nick gave to us. Abraham was a man of faith. And in the Hall of Fame, uh, in Hebrews 11, Abraham, he is the biggest placard on the wall, telling about his achievements that through faith, he, how these situations where he believed God and obeyed God. And then in Romans 4, we're told Abraham believed God. He had faith that it was counted to him as righteousness. And then James 3, Abram proved his faith by his works. All these passages in the New Testament throughout the Bible, Abraham's a man of faith. That's what he's known for. And these are just a handful. And so besides Jesus, Abram is the most famous person in, in the Bible. And one thing he's famous for is his faith. But what is faith? It's kind of this word that we're used to saying a lot. And it's easy to misunderstand it um, and misuse it. And so let's, we're going to take a little time to, to think about it. A synonym for faith is trust. And so um, let's just answer this question. We're not going to write it down or anything. In, in, what, si- in what situations, maybe I will write it down. Um, in what situations does someone need faith or trust? And you can think about situations with God, or you can think about just situations you know, with another person. What's a situation where you need faith or trust? When is that required? What kind of situations that required in? Marriage. Marriage, okay. You need to trust the other person um, that they're committed to you. Um, and, or you have some other specifics of mind about that? That's it. Marriage. Speaking in general. Marriage, yeah. It's a trust relationship. Marriage. 
Group projects, that's a good, wow, that's a really good point. Everyone, I don't know, when we were in college, you groan about group projects because like, oh, you get placed with people who aren't going to do their part and you're like trusting them, okay, you got to get the slideshow done and then you come in and it's like, yeah, I kind of just winged this this morning at 5 a.m. Oh my gosh, God, and we trust you with this. Okay, group projects. When Katie and Mitch did the trust fall. Wow, that's a, that's a, Concrete in everyone's memory. Yeah, trust falls. So that's a needed for trust falls. Oh, yeah, that was one of my first ser services here. Was it? I mean, Katie, get up and do the trust first. Falls. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were you weren't like, wow, this place is weird. That's good. I'm glad you stuck around. <laughs> Hope they don't do that every Sunday. Going to a doctor or dentist. You got to trust oh that they're gonna, if, especially if you like get put under for a surgery. Like, okay, I have no control. Yeah. Haircut. Doctor, dentist. Yeah. Haircut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we like, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> Katie cuts mine here, so. You're telling me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Katie does a very good job. I, think, I can't see job. the back. She could be putting anything in the back. <laughs> Katie's awesome. I'll put, when do we need trust? Um, like when there's a lot of money involved, like if there's a big house project or something, you're trusting like a plumber, contractor, whatever, like knows what they're okay. doing and will do it well. Uh, when lots of money is involved, you're trusting, yeah, that person's going to do a good job. Mm -hmm. going to do what they said, not going to end up with a big mess. Just put house, car. So I think like business ventures as well, like people that partner up in business. Okay, business partners. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. The bank trust that you're gonna get your money back when you put it in. That's true. Yeah, you, we all have our money in the bank. I'm assuming, and it's like you assume they didn't just use it somewhere, and you can't ever get it again. Yeah. And I think you know, tag along with business partner, even as an employee, you have faith. They're going to pay and you. trust that at the end of the week, you're going to get a paycheck. Yeah, employer will pay you. Maybe if you're um, visiting a foreign country and you have a guide, it's like tour guide. Tour guide. Yeah, yeah they're going to get you. Yeah, especially if you don't speak the language, like you hope they're not saying to the person they're talking to you, like, hey, we're going to rip all these Americans off, you know? You hope they're saying, like, you know, they're making arrangements. Yeah. Anytime you get in the car and someone else is driving. Mm -hmm. Someone else driving. Or, or airplane, yeah. the pilot. <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing. I didn't yeah, airplane. Big chunk of metal flying through the air. And you, I always felt like I needed trust when I went on roller coasters because you go through those dark tunnels and I'm like, what if I put my hand up and my arm gets ripped off by some <laughs> beam sitting there? I'm like, okay, well. Surely they must have thought of that. There's going to be people like me, and I haven't heard any newspaper reports of somebody else getting their arm ripped off. So okay, I can put my arm. You are pretty tall, so I know. I thought about that too. Did they can take that into consideration? <laughs> yeah, tall people. I won't write that. That was. I think even just weird. in friendships and relationships, that you can have faith and trust their word that they'll be honest, that they'll keep your confidence. Stuck in a cave and it floods, and you have to trust the rescuers to get you out. From the, the folks, the 14 so crisis. kids in crisis. crisis. You don't want me to write flooded. Flood. Brian, if you had a, 
Wow, that was really specific. You had a lot of situations where you're in a flooded cave and you need to be rescued. Yeah, Mary Smith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what do these situations have in common? Um, like, what is it about these situations that requires trust? You're depending on someone else. Yeah, you're depending on somebody else. Well, yeah. somebody knows something that you don't. Is skilled at something you aren't. <clears throat> okay, well, it's right in the corner. Depending on someone else. Oh, yeah. Like a Y. <laughs> and what were you saying, Brian? You said you're trusting somebody who you feel knows something that you don't, oh, or does, uh, or is able to do something you can't. Know something you don't. There's also like risk involved. Whenever there's risk, yeah. What is like there's risk? Something at stake. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Something at stake. You're making yourself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. All those situations related to risk, right? Yeah. yeah, you're risking something. I like that something at stake. Good way to put it. Well, and let me. When you put your trust in that person, you know, if that person doesn't follow through, it could be catastrophic result. Mm. You know, so kind of related to risk, but like, and you're vulnerable. You could be hurt, kind of, or like. I mean, you know, death. I mean, death. Somebody's driving. They could, you know. So we'll put, so many uh, scenarios that could be um, could be hurt, die. Maybe it's like high stakes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tour guide, I mean, like Brian said, what happened, you know, those kids, they were trusting their coach and they ended up in a mm -hmm. crisis, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, which could have been much worse. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah, so let's pause it there. We can maybe say more. Uh, but. We're, the big question as we're going and thinking about um, faith and Abraham and God's rescue plan, we're going to ask this question, what is God's rescue plan um, to bring us home? That's what this passage is all about. What is God's rescue plan to bring us home? We're going to go through this passage in four parts kind of quickly and then come back to that question. So what is God's rescue plan um, to bring us home? And all this stuff, we're going to come back to this. It's going to come into play. Um, but when we look at verse... 27, chapter 11, it starts us with this new title section. Remember, we've kept tracing these titles of these are the generations of blank, and now we're getting these are the generations of Terah, and so it's telling us this is the, the history, the story of Terah and his family, what happens to Terah and his family, and then it's going to focus in um, on one specific son of Terah, Abram, and his story is going to go um, from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 25. And so, you know, we covered lots of history, lots of generations through chapters 1 through 11. Now it's going to be Abram, you know, basically like 25 for, no, it's not 25, it's like 100-ish, 100-ish years of Abram's life um, in 13 chapters. And then it's going to be one of his sons and then one of his sons. So we're going to, things kind of slow down here. Um, we're given two key pieces of information about Abram right up front. First is... Um, this doesn't really come into play today. We learned that his brother, Haran, died um, and left his son, Lot, fatherless. And so later we're going to find out that uh, Abram kind of like adopts Lot. He's like the closest thing to a son um, that he has. And so Lot is kind of like always in the mix in some ways. 
And second, this is important um, throughout Abram's whole life, is that his wife, Sarai, is barren and unable to have children. She's a woman who bears the, the pain and shame of not being able to get <coughs> pregnant after decades and decades of, of trying and trying and trying. Um, and she's 65 years old. We're introduced to her um, in just a list of 65 years. Like, they've been trying to have, well, I guess I don't know how long they've been married, but she's 65 years old and has been able to have kids. And then Abram also bears the disappointment of, uh, and the heartache of not having a son to teach and to pass down, you know, given inheritance to. Like, here's all my stuff, son. Like, I'm giving this to you. As he doesn't have somebody um, to give that to. And Sarai feels the guilt and shame of thinking that that's all her fault. Like, I can't give my husband um, a son. And that was a re- I mean, it's a big deal today. Um, and it was a really big deal back then, too. Like, man, this is like, um, this is a, you know, we really need to be doing this. This is what she felt her responsibility was. So with this background information, we hear God's plan for Abram and for the whole world in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So that's our second section, God's plan. Let's reread those verses. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 um, of Genesis. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I'll curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is one of the most important moments in the whole Bible. If you want to like memorize a passage, like a really weighty passage in the whole Bible, this, this is one of them. And if you want to understand the whole storyline of the Bible, you, you don't have to like, it's good to read through the whole thing. There's like some really key passages. If you knew Genesis 1 and 2, you know how everything's supposed to be. Genesis 3, you know how everything became not the way it's supposed to be. And then these three verses in Genesis 12 are like the next really big passage in the Bible. And here God sets in motion his specific plan to undo the effects that Adam and Eve brought onto the world with their rebellion in Genesis 3. And what he's trying to do is bring blessing back to the world like in Genesis 1 and 2. 1 and 2, blessing, um, home with God. 3 gets messed up. 12, specific plan um, to bring blessing just like 1 and 2. Um, and there's this coming together of God's universal plan for everyone, and then this really particular personal element where Abram, you know, it's like, here's my plan for the whole world, and then there's one guy that he's working through. And so God always was working through particular people. And that can be encouragement to us, that God's always working through people. He has this universal plan that he's executing, and he's doing it through individuals. And later, we'll learn that Abraham, Abram is 75 years old when this happens. And we don't know what he's doing for the first 75 years of his life. But then there's this moment where God says to him, um, here's my plan to bless the whole world through you. you know, imagine God said that to you. Like, hey, uh, Laurel, I'm going to bless you so you can bless all the families on the earth. Whoa, you know, it's kind of a weighty thing. And God's blessing to Abram consists of these three promises. It's for land nation and name. So first, God promises to give Abram a land. He tells him, go to a land that I'm going to show you. And later when he arrives, God promises, I'm going to give you this land. He's like, go, I'm going to show you the land, and I'm going to give you this land. And currently, he doesn't have a land. Like, they moved from Ur of the Chaldeans um, to Haran. Um, and his family, they're like nomadic sheep herders. We learn that later. They're, they've settled in Haran, but that's not really their, their place. Like, they're making it home, but they don't own anything there. And so Abraham is landless. But God's going to give him a land. Second, God promises to make Abram into a great nation. And though Abraham is Abram, I said I would mix up and say them 
uh, mix them up. Same person. Abram is 75 years old. He's childless. And his wife can't have kids. And yet God promises, promises to give him a family that's going to become a nation. And it's like, wait, I'm childless. My wife is barren. You know, once you pick somebody else to make a great nation out of, um, and that nation becomes the nation of Israel. Um, so, so even though Abraham's childless, um, God's going to make him into a great nation. And third, God promises to make Abram's name great. So land, nation, name. In chapter 11, the people of Babel, are, they're building this tower, and their desire is we want to make a name for ourselves. Um, and then God opposes their efforts and scatters them. You know, it's just a couple of verses earlier, and so it's like, well, wait, I guess it's not good to make a, have a great name. And it's like, oh, well, but it's okay when God's the one giving you. You're not supposed to try to make your name great by opposing God. Like, they didn't want to fill the earth. They just wanted to huddle up. And so let's, let's make our name great and build the city. You know, we opposed God, and we got, you know, we built our way up to him. Um, but no one remembers their names. How many people, did you memorize any of the names of people who built the Tower of Babel? Um, it's not even recorded who, who did it. Um, so we don't know any of their names, um, and their efforts failed to make a great name. Um, but Abram, however, is the forefather. He's seen as the forefather of three major religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity. All these religions um, trace their origins back to Abram. And so he's, he's famous, and, uh, and it's because God gave him a great name. And so Abram is a no-name, but God's going to give him a great name. And while these are the blessings that God lists specifically, it's also assumed that he's getting this relationship with God. God's saying, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to do this. You're going to um, have me with you along the way. So he's getting the blessing of God, um, a relationship with God. All the out of all the people of the earth, God has chosen Abraham um, to use for his divine purposes and have a name. That doesn't mean nobody else knew God or nobody else was saved. Um, but this is the story of the Bible, the specific story that uh, we're focused on and the final goal here doesn't end with Abram. It's not, hey, I'm going to give you all this, and you just put it up in a vault um, and just store it for yourself and kind of let it rot there for you to have. But he says, no, um, he set his sights, God has his sights set on blessing all the families of the earth through Abram. He's going to bless Abram so that he can be a blessing to other people. And God wants to bring blessing back to this world that's filled with curse and death and sin. And God wants to bring humanity back to the home experience um, that we're supposed to experience be experiencing from Genesis 1 and 2, and he's going to use Abram's family to do it. And God's promises totally reverse Abram's situation. He's landless, he's childless, he's a no-name, but God's going to give him a land, he's going to make him a great nation, he's going to make his name great. And through Abraham, uh, God wants to make a reversal um, in the whole world. There's all this curse, and he wants to bring blessing. He wants to reverse um, what has happened, the situation in the world. And so maybe you can think about, like, where do you need a reversal in your life. Abram was childless and landless and nameless. And a lot of the things that God reverses for us now um, are spiritual gifts. Where do you need a reversal? Maybe you're hopeless. Maybe you're loveless. Man, nobody loves me. Maybe you're faithless. Like, I just don't really have any faith or trust in God right now. Maybe you're peaceless. You have a lot of anxiety and stress and worry. Maybe you're joyless. Life, like nothing just really is enjoyable. Or maybe you're restless. Like you just haven't found um, what you're looking for. And so you're always looking for it. You're restless. So where do you need a reversal? And the ultimate blessing God gives to the world is his son, Jesus. As we read in Galatians 3, Jesus, um, well, Paul said that the gospel was preached to Abram when God said, in you, all the nations will be blessed. And it's like, well, well how is that the gospel? The gospel is about Jesus. Well, it's because Abram's family, you know, here's the you know, story of the Bible. 
you know, really small nutshell, like a pistachio nutshell, not like a walnut nutshell. This is like a small in a nutshell. God said, you know, Israel, you're going to bless all nations. You're going to be a light to those nations. You're going to be a light showing them who I am um, and what I've done. That was what Israel was supposed to be. They're supposed to shine the truth of who God is into the world so others can know him. But time and time again, Israel failed to trust and to love God. So they became like everyone else. They weren't distinct or different. They're supposed to be holy and unique and set apart, but because they didn't trust and love God, they became sort of looking like all the other nations. Um, and they weren't showing them who God was by their, their actions and their words, but they were just looking exactly like them. And their prophets um, foretold of the day, said God's going to send a king to Israel um, who's going to show them the way. He's going to set everything right. And finally that day came when Jesus was born. He was born a king, um, but he was also born as God in the flesh. And so God himself came as the king to show Israel this is how it's supposed to be. And to say, turn from your sin, turn from all these false views of God and believe the good news um, that I'm setting up my kingdom um, and this is what it looks like. And then Jesus paid the penalty for our sin by his death to, to free us from it. And then he was raised to new life to send his spirit to dwell inside of us so we could actually live um, out the truth of who God is and be a light to the nations because Jesus' spirit is in us. And one day Jesus will return to free us from sin's presence and bring in a whole new creation. So now all those who believe in Jesus become citizens of his kingdom. We become a, a great nation, if you want to think of it that way. It's like the church, that's citizens of Jesus' kingdom, the great nation Jesus is building. And all those who believe in Jesus are given a great name. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We get a new identity. Now we're known. You know, everything that's true of Jesus is now true of us. We have all the truths of whatever, you know, a name is what stands, um, what somebody stands for. Like you might, you know, like, oh, you might hear somebody's name like, oh, they're a good plumber. You might hear somebody's name, oh, they're a good mechanic. Um, and when you hear Jesus' name, it's like, oh, he's a good king. And now that's the name that we've been given. His identity, we get everything um, that he is and he has. And then all those who believe in Jesus are also promised a land, a new creation. Will there be no mourning, no crying, no pain anymore? So all those promises that Abram was given, that Israel was given, are now ultimately fulfilled um, in a better way through Jesus. They all pointed forward because now we're given a nation. We've become a kingdom, um, Jesus' kingdom. We're given uh, a new name. We're given a land, promised a land. Jesus is the one who does the ultimate reversal, and he's a descendant of Abram. Jesus is the ultimate blessing to all the families of the earth, given, and he came through Abram and his family. But Abram must respond, um, because God is the doer, and Abraham is the receiver, but Abram must respond in order to receive. He tells him in the very first verse, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And the call of God on Abram in this passage keeps getting more personal and more costly. So first he says, go from your country, the place he's living. Okay, you know, that's one, that costs something to move from where you are. That's one level. And then the next level, um, leave your kindred, leave your clan, leave your tribe, leave, you know, leave your relatives. It's like, well, this is my land, this is where all my people are. And he's saying, leave the place you're at that you know, leave the people that you know. And then lastly, even more, like maybe I could take you know, my immediate family with us. No, he says, leave your father's house. You can't take your parents with you. You can't take um, your brothers and sisters with you. You need to leave it all and just take you and your family out with you. 
with each one the cost is greater. And giving this up um, isn't to earn God's blessing, to, but to receive it. He has to respond in faith to receive it as a gift. And he cannot stay where he is if he wants to receive what God is desired to give him. And, um, I know Nick and Emma, there's a really good verse in John 8 they really like, and I was thinking of it when I wrote this. He, he cannot hold on to life as he knows it if he wants what God has promised him. And he cannot remain where he is if he wants to receive God's promise. And so too, we must respond. All those uh, who bless Abram, he says, will be blessed. But if you reject Abram, you'll, Abram, you'll be cursed. In the same way, Jesus is desiring to bless people. But everyone who um, receives him by faith, they receive the blessing he has to offer. And everyone who rejects him, um, they're going to be cursed. They're still under sin's penalty and power and presence. And we cannot hold on to life as it is if we want what Jesus offers. That's why our mission statement is we need to surrender all of life to Jesus as our king. We cannot have life. We can't have the benefits of Jesus' kingdom without surrendering our life to the king. That's like the opposite of what it means to be part of a kingdom. If you want to be part of a kingdom, you submit to the king, and then you get the benefits of that kingdom, of being free of sin's penalty and power and presence. And now it isn't meant to stop with us. Jesus blesses us with every spiritual blessing, as Ephesians 1 says, so we can now be a blessing to others. Jesus calls us to repent and to believe the gospel. And then he sends us out to tell others, just like God told Abram, go. Um, Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Abram was supposed to bless, be a blessing to all nations. Now we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all Jesus commanded. And so our response is similar to Abram's, um, we're called to do the same thing. But let's see how Abram actually responds in verses 4 through 9. We're not going to reread the whole thing as we just read it. But in verse 4, we're simply told, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So just think about how crazy this is. Abram's 75 years old, no kids, um, not able to have kids because his wife can't have kids. He owns no land. And he's the most unlikely of people to become a great nation. He doesn't even, even have one kid as a starter. Like, you know, maybe God would pick a family like, hey, you have like 20 kids, um, so I'm going to make a great nation out of you because you've got a good start here. So, no, he picks a guy who doesn't have any kids and can't even have kids. And God wants him now. I want you to leave the people you know and go to a different land um, that I'm going to show you. And so he doesn't have any land. The nation needs a land and needs people to start. And from Abram, for Abram to go, as the Lord told him, required a great deal of faith in God. It required this this deep trust. And it would seem God um, made a good draft pick in picking him for his team because Abram trusted God. He did what was necessary. So um, we're just going to think quickly. We're not going to write anything down, but we have the four G's up here. Maybe I'll have to move so you can see them. But um, We've talked about those the last two weeks, and so we're going to have this sign up here so we can continue to use them in these stories. And I guess Brad can't see, but I don't know. Okay, I'll do this. I'll huddle up here. But which of these four G's did Abram, or you know, multiple maybe, did Abram need to believe um, to respond the way he did? God says, you know, tells him to do this crazy thing, and then he just goes as the Lord told him. So which of these did he need to believe? And why would that be significant? Why, why would that help? So I don't have to be in control. So he's like giving up control, really. Trust and faith in what God's 
asking him, telling him to do. Because mm-hmm. he might be like, that sounds kind of crazy. I don't know how you're going to do that, but I don't have to be in control. You're great. You're in control. Yeah. You guys all able to see it? Mm-hmm. You guys too, Jerry, you can see it? Oh, yeah. I can't see the bottom. Oh. Silly whiteboards. We have printouts on the back table we can use. We do. Maybe we'll have to position this. This is a good test. So what other ones do we need to leave? God is gracious. Yeah, why would that help? He's, he doesn't have to prove himself. He's just trusting God. Because he might be like, well, why, why would you do that? I don't deserve that. I don't believe you could do that. But he's, is that kind of what you're saying? Like, oh, but he's gracious, so I don't have to prove I deserve this. I just, is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, like, if you're afraid of failure, you know. Yeah. What if I mess up? Yeah. 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 It doesn't say that he was like righteous or blameless, does it? No. Like Noah was chosen for that Abraham. No. Nope. We don't. Know. We know nothing about him at this point, <laughs> except that God chose him in your spot. I think God is glorious, so you don't have to fear others, especially just with like I'm going to make you into a great nation. Like during that time, like. Okay, I don't need to fear these other nations that are going to be, you know, on our sides that okay. might want to attack us. Or mm-hmm. yeah. and also yeah. glorious because it's worth worshiping, like worth mm. going after. You said it. I'm doing it. You're important. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this because you're worth it. That's the same as good. He's like worth leaving everything behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think glorious too because like. What's my family gonna think? Like I'm leaving? What did God talk to you? Really? You know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna you're gonna leave all of us? And he had to not fear what why, they thought. Why didn't God pick us? Why did yeah. yeah. That's Yeah. <clears throat> well Abram leaves he he does it, leaves his country, his kindred, father's house in Haran, and he leaves brings Lot with them, Sarai, his wife, and they go to the land of Canaan, which is already occupied. It's not land for the taking. Um, and he sets up these two altars as he's going. God appears to him, talks to him, and then he sets up this altar, um, which is almost like this, almost like a little memorial, like almost like a flag, like, okay, like God gave me this land. He goes right to the middle of the land of Israel. So, let me try to do it again. So, Israel's along the Mediterranean Sea, so imagine, this, this is so difficult. The Mediterranean Sea is here. Uh, so then Israel's like right alongside of it. So he's, Ur is kind of over here, or uh, not Ur, he's in uh, Haran, is over here, and he kind of comes down, and then he goes down to the middle of Israel. That's where God appears to him, he builds an altar there, like right at the heart of it. He goes a little bit further, and he builds an altar there, calls on the name of the Lord. And then he says he goes down to the Negev, which is just the southern tip of Israel. So actually when he comes in and travels from Haran, he actually goes through the whole length of Israel. God's like, this is the land um, I'm going to give to him. But he has to, it's almost like these altars are flag planted. I don't own this land, but God's promised to me, and I trust him, and I'm worshiping him that he's given me this great promise. And in verses 4 through 9, it's like Abraham's on this like, spiritual high. Um, God spoke to him directly, uh, made some mighty promises, and he responds with obedience. Um, and he packs up for this far off land, leaving behind all he knows. But as he travels, God appears to him again. Um, and he ha- seems like he has this like awareness of God's presence, and he's with him, and he's you know excited about these promises, and his heart and mind, uh, yeah, his heart and mind are, are full, and he's worshiping his way through the promised land. Um, so we might, you know, how do we respond to the promises of God? 
Um, how do we respond when God calls us to something? We can think, look at Abraham's example and think, how would we respond? But, when a- but then Abraham's faith is tested in verses 10 through 20. Um, because crisis hits in verse 10. Um, there's a famine in the land. God asks him to leave the comfort and security um, of his home and his family for a land he's going to show him. And then there's a famine when he arrives. Um, people are struggling to eat and are concerned about their mes- next meal. Like, really, is this the land, God? Maybe there'd be another land. Um, you know, maybe uh, you could give me a land that uh, people aren't in a famine and there's actually food to eat. And it's like, how you know exciting would that be? Like, okay, God, I came to the place you called me to go, and it's like. This place isn't that great. <laughs> so thanks a lot, God, for uh, calling me from all that stuff, and now I'm here. Uh, it doesn't say that he thinks that, but you could imagine. Um, his solution is to go farther south down to Egypt, and because Egypt's on the Nile River, it's not susceptible to the ups and downs of the wet and dry seasons. Um, it's harder to have a famine or a drought there because um, it's got the Nile River. And so no sooner than he arrives, but he decides, uh, in the Promised Land, he decides to leave, um, and we might be wondering, well, what about God's promises? You know, gee, thanks, God. Thanks for this waterless, foodless land. Um, and maybe you've had a time when you've doubted God because things aren't as you expected. Um, God didn't do what you expected. So you're like, God, really? This is what you did? Like, you know, God, you care about marriage? That's what you say in the Bible? And I thought it was going to be all these things. And now marriage is kind of hard. Like, I have to really work at this. Or, um, God, I moved in this house, and I thought it was going to be really great. And now I've got all these problems. I discovered all these plumbing issues or whatever it is. And you're like, God, I thought I was following your will, um, doing what you wanted me to do, and now it just isn't as I expected. And then Egypt, as they're about to enter, Abram's like, okay, Sarai, you're a beautiful woman. Um, the Egyptians are going to probably kill me to take you. Um, so tell them you're my sister uh, so they won't kill me, and then things will go well for me. They'll just kind of like give me stuff because of that. Woohoo! you know, you have a beautiful sister. I don't know why that would make them give him stuff, but I guess that was his uh, plan, and it worked. Um, he's like, I want my life to be spared, um, but we should immediately recognize this is a horrible idea, because um, Abram's like, I'm going to save my own skin um, by lying about who my wife is, um, so she gets taken into Pharaoh's harem, like his you know, group of people that he's married and has you know, relations with, uh, and then I'm, that'll be so things go well with me. It's like, Abram, what are you doing? Um, and now uh, we're like, well, now he's kind of like jeopardizing God's promises. Like, isn't this the person you're supposed to, he's supposed to have kids with to become a great nation? Now he's given her to Pharaoh so that he doesn't get killed um, and doesn't uh, and can not have his stuff taken away. And Abram um, was right. The Egyptians are like, yeah, she's beautiful. They tell Pharaoh about it. He takes her in her house. Uh, but then they, God's protecting them. He sends these great plagues. Uh, on Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh gets upset. He's like, Abram, why'd you lie to me? And then he rebukes him, and he sends them away. And so Abram, we learn, he's supposed to be this blessing to other nations, right? And the first nation we're, we're told he interacts with, Egypt, what does he do? He lies to them and causes plagues to be brought upon them. So, wow, Abram, how will you be a blessing um, to them? And it's like he, uh, and then he's kicked out by the king of that nation um, with a sharp rebuke. And it's like, okay, this guy's the, now we're kind of wondering, maybe God did make a mistake in his first round draft pick. Like, is this really the guy who's going to be a blessing to all nations? And so we'll just quickly, again, which four G's um, did Abram need to believe in this situation? How would that have helped? Like, he's in Egypt, there's this famine, he's afraid for his life. Which of these four G's um, would have been helpful for him to remember? God is glorious, so he 
doesn't have to fear others. It doesn't have to fear the <coughs> Pharaoh, yeah, right, and the other Egyptians. Mm -hmm. Again, that God is great, he's in control, he's called him, and so we'll continue to provide for him and keep him safe and mm -hmm. keep his promises. You think if God promised you're going to be a great nation, he would realize that means I'm not going to die in Egypt, you know? Like, he must be in control. Like, you know, I can trust him to protect me. Yeah. Any others that popped to mind? sure we can, many of us can relate to Abram's life. Um, maybe the first section you're like, whoa, Abram's way better than me. Then we get to this part where we're like, oh, Abram's kind of just like me because when we hit crisis situations, you know, I hopefully God's working on us and more and more we're getting on our knees and asking him, God, what should I do? There's no recording that Abram consults God at all. Like, should I leave? Israel to get, you know, be helped with this famine. You know, what should I do about Pharaoh maybe wanting to take my wife? And who knows if, you know, he would have even killed him. Like, he just kind of has all these things he's afraid of. Um, but, you know, when we get in crisis situations, a lot of times, um, the first thing that gets pushed out um, is reading our Bibles, praying, um, coming to worship together. Like, I don't have time for that. I got to finish out the, figure out this crisis thing. I don't have time to go consult with God. I don't have time to be with God's people. I don't have time to go hear from him and his word. And we go, we can feel like Abram, like he goes from the spiritual high to the spiritual low. We can feel like, man, I totally trusted God in this one moment. And then later that night, you know, we're, we're harsh with our friend or our spouse or our kids. And it's like, man, God, I felt like I had a really great day trusting you. And then I got home and just kind of blew it all. And we can feel like we have um, this thing where we're forgetting about God and coming up with our own solutions. And this returns us to to our big question. The big question this passage answers is, what is God's rescue plan to bring us home? And here's the answer. Um, imperfect, undeserving people are blessed to be a blessing. What's God's rescue plan to bring us home? Imperfect, undeserving people are blessed to be a blessing. Imperfect, undeserving people are blessed to be a blessing. That's God's rescue plan to bring us home. Abram is far from perfect. As we'll continue to see, it's not like he has this one little flub um, and then he gets back on track. Like Abram continues to struggle. He continues to have victories, but he also continues to have um, failures. Um, and God, But God blesses him. He gives him this immense privilege that he isn't deserving of. And this is God's grace in action. God is gracious, so he gives us what we don't deserve. Abram didn't have to prove himself to get this. God chose him. He chose to bless him. Um, and to give them um, these promises. And yes, we're unworthy too. And yes, we're undeserving. But God blesses us anyway. And he chooses to use us for his purposes, even though we are unworthy of carrying such an honor. And he wants to rescue people and bring them home. And he's using imperfect, undeserving people to do it. And so know this truth. God wants to bless you to be a blessing. God wants to bless you to be a blessing. God is gracious, which means by nature he's a giver and he's a blesser to those who don't deserve it. You don't have to prove yourself. You just need to receive it as the free gift he offers you. God wants to bless you to be a blessing. 
The ultimate blessing is Jesus, who deals with all of our sin, who promises a new creation. Through Jesus, we get a new name. Our sin's dealt with, and now we have a new identity. We're totally washed clean. Through Jesus, we get to be part of a kingdom with all these benefits and his protection and his care. Through Jesus, we get to look forward to a land, inheriting a new heavens and a new earth where we get new bodies. And so we get this promised land to look forward to. In Jesus, we're blessed beyond measure. And through Jesus, God is bringing us home by forgiving our sins, giving us power um, to, to love him. And he promises this future um, where we'll be free of sin. And God wants to use you to bless others, to tell others um, the good news about Jesus so they can receive these blessings. But we must respond. The only way we will be blessed to be a blessing is if we respond. We can't receive these blessings without faith. It's this gift that's held out, um, and it's just a gift held out until you receive it, and we receive it by faith, by trusting in God. And if Abram had remained where he was, he wouldn't have been able to receive what God had promised. And we can't remain where we are if we want to receive what God has promised. We must say yes to God. And, and sometimes I like to think of it this way, like our mission statement is surrendering all of life to Jesus, inviting others to do the same. And Jesus was coming, he was calling people, repent and believe the good news, be part of this kingdom um, that I'm setting up. Um, and there's lots of people that heard Jesus um, and he would invite to follow him. Uh, and they would, they had to say yes and make him take an action and go with them. If they said no, they're remaining, sitting there, uh, not following him and not enjoying his relationship with him or his kingdom. And today, one of the difficulties we have is, is that we can hear Jesus' invitation and then we can not respond to it all and still call ourselves Christians. Whereas if Jesus was here physically, he would have invited us and kept going and we would just still be sitting here and calling ourselves Christians even though we're not following him. And so we have to be able to res respond to Jesus when he invites us two things. Otherwise, we're just you know, still sitting here, um, and he's going on his way, accomplishing his purposes and doing his plan, um, blessing people so it would be a blessing. Um, will we do it perfectly? No. Um, we're imperfect and undeserving, um, but the posture of someone with faith is like, I want to say yes to what Jesus wants me to do, and that's my posture um, throughout my life. Um, and responding to God engages our head, heart, and hands, and we work through this um, in our, our Gospel Fluency group. Faith requires all three because faith, or you can, I'm going to give you a statement for each of these. Head means faith is not blind. People say, oh, you just have blind faith. But faith engages our head. Faith is not blind. It's based on um, the trustworthiness of the person we're trusting. And so we have these truths about God, who he is, and what he's done. It's not a blind faith. It's based, faith is always you know, going into the unknown. But it doesn't mean we're going blind because like, we looked at all these situations. If you put your trust in these people you have a good reason to. And we have a good reason to trust God because we know the truth about who he is, what he's done through the scripture and through the Holy Spirit and us through what we've seen him do in our lives. And so it's not blind faith. So faith engages our head. We know God. It engages our heart too. And the statement for this is faith is not only factual. Faith isn't saying, oh, I, I believe those facts. I believe those facts are true. But faith engages our heart. It's like when you meet God, you see all these facts about him. You're knowing God, but you, not everyone you know you let in the driver's seat of your car. And so trusting and believing God means you know him, and I'm going to let you in the driver's seat. Um, and so it engages uh, our life. We're letting him take the direction. And lastly, hands, head, heart, hands. Hands, faith is not idle. So head, faith is not blind. Heart, faith is not only factual. 
hands, faith is not idle. Because we obey God. When we let him in the driver's seat, we let him take control and take us where we want to go. We're saying, yes, do with my life what you want me to do. Make me to the kind of person you want me to be. You just think about a couple practical ways that we blessed to be a blessing. Today, a lot of us were at Summer in the Park, and that's a way we bless others. Um, we're showing people um, what God is like. Hey, God, uh, he cares about us. And he loves us, and he wants to be present with us and engage with us. And when we volunteer for things like Summer in the Park, um, we're showing people, and God's not distant and aloof and doesn't care about the city. We're showing them God cares about the city. He cares about the people in it. They're getting to see a picture of him. And then when we do our back-to-school bash, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, are we going to set up a little podium and be, tell people about Jesus or that? No, but sometimes the first step you know, to getting people to open the door to let us tell them about Jesus is showing them God loves you, God cares about you, God cares about the kids um, in the schools, and we want to give those kids backpacks, and we want to bless you in this really tangible way. We've been blessed um, by Jesus, and we're part of his kingdom, and now we want to show you what his kingdom is like. It's a kingdom where God is blessing people, wants to love them and care for them, um, and show them his grace. And are the people that we're doing this for uh, imperfect, undeserving? Yes. But it's a picture of God's grace and his kindness and generosity um, when we get to do this um, with other people. And I wanted to do something together, but unfortunately, um, we're not going to have time to do it. But uh, think about this um, for this week, something you can think about. Um, where Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. So one of our big ways that we're blessed to be a blessing is we're blessed um, with salvation from Jesus. And now we're supposed to bless others by telling them about Jesus. And our deeds go with that because they make us credible witnesses and messengers. Like, oh, if your life doesn't really reflect the news you're talking about, it doesn't seem like this king's all that great. But we're sent to bless people with the news about Jesus. So if we fully believe these four Gs, how would that help us in telling others about Jesus? Which of these do we need to believe? Um, you know, how would believing God's great help you tell others about Jesus? How would believing God's glorious help you tell others about Jesus? How believing God's good help you tell us about Jesus? How does uh, believing God's gracious help you tell us about Jesus? Um, God is glorious, uh, so we don't have to fear others. It's like, we don't have to worry, like, what are they going to say, or what are they going to think about me? Yeah, like, the, you're a weird Jesus person. And it's like, well, I am, you're right. <laughs> it's more important than what you think. Well, since Heather got us started, let's, well, we can talk to people about immediate ideas. God is good. Yeah, how would that help? worth sharing, though. It's worth sharing. Yeah, it's not like we're, you know, trying to sell people a broken down car. Like, it's not the bad thing. It's a good thing we're trying to give people. Yeah. I think God is great, like, so often we hear when we're talking with people how they're, or uh, ourselves as well, just trying to be in control and like, I have mm. to do this perfectly and then I have to do this and this yep. is out of control and how great it is to have that good news that God is in control so you mm. don't have to be and what a relief that is. Yeah, I don't have to make this person believe even if I mess up, God can use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any others that would help if you were telling people about Jesus? Do you remember them? Or you were just Hitting on God is gracious mm-hmm. as well. How's that help? Well, because you don't have to do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, because God is gracious. Uh, yeah, he'll use even our imperfect efforts to do something great. Yeah. 
because he's gracious. There's not this pressure on us, like, uh, in order for God to accept me, I have to do this perfectly or do this yeah. better than other people. Yeah, I, uh, somebody that mentors me um, told me, a pastor named Tim Keller, somebody was telling him about, like, sharing his faith and how he felt, I don't know, guilty or pressure. And he said to him, you, you know you don't have to do that for God to accept you, right? And he was like, oh. And then all of a sudden that guy started, really wanted to share his faith, but he felt all this guilt and condemnation. It's like, God doesn't accept us based on how well we evangelize people. Um, and that's freeing to us because it's like, wow, yeah, it's based on what Jesus has done and who God is and what he's done. Um, so we're not proving ourselves by sharing our faith with others, but the more we believe this, the more we'll want to because guess what? You don't have to prove yourself either. Like God just accepts you and welcomes you and loves you based on him and not, um, not what you do. Well, you can continue praying about that. Um, but Abram was the most unlikely of people to be chosen for God's promises and God's purposes. Uh, and he couldn't accomplish any of the promises in his own power. He had to trust God to do it. And then he had to leave um, what he knew and head into the unknown. Um, Nick kept pointing out as we were studying this passage, he had to leave his comfort zone. Like, where do we experience God? It's when we leave our comfort zone. Because if we're just in where we're comfortable, well, I don't need God. I'm in control of all this stuff. I'm, I have the power to do all this stuff. When we leave our comfort zone, it's like, okay, all of a sudden I can't control what people think of me. And I don't have the power to change this person's heart. And I don't have, you know, all of a sudden now I have to actually trust God. And um, we're called to do that. And so, too, we're, we're the most unlikely of people to be chosen for God's promises and God's purposes. But God chooses the imperfect and the undeserving. As one of my professors said, God makes straight lines using crooked sticks. We're all crooked sticks. We're not deserving of God's blessings. We're not deserving to be used by God. But God does it anyway because he's gracious and his grace is sufficient for us because his power is made perfect um, in weakness. We need to leave, there knowing, leave here knowing that today. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Abram's story and thanks for the mighty ways you used him and how, I mean, through 2,000 years, after 2,000 years, Jesus came. And now, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus and Abram because you made his name great um, and you used him to bless all families of the earth. And so would you let us respond um, with faith and obedience, um, trust in you, uh, that we would be a blessing to others um, through showing and telling the, the good news um, through our words and our deeds. It's your son's name we pray.